Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Trial begins. U.S. Senators swear in for the Trump impeachment trial. Signed and sealed. Phase one of China's trade deal done, but most tariffs will remain. And a better battery that unicorn that's supercharging our electric future. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Great to have you with us here on Wall Street for another jam-packed show. Lots of breaking news this morning. Let me give you a look to start with at the markets. Fresh records, that's what we're looking at when the U.S. majors kick off the session today. As you can see, it followed a pretty momentous session on Wednesday too. The Dow closing just above 29,000 for the first time ever. It, in fact, took a mere 40 trading days to get from 28,000 to 29,000. So we'll, we'll count how long it takes to get to 30,000. One wouldn't want to tempt fate. Let's take a look at Europe session two. There we started out strong, but we've since faded. As you can see there, Asian stocks also having a pretty mixed session. The Shanghai composite falling some five tenths of 1%. I think globally right now, investors weighing up the details of this US-China trade deal and what the future implications are. The proof, of course, will be in the pudding, very British the future stabilization of growth. What kind of uh, achievements can we see on that front? And of course, perhaps more importantly, a return of confidence here for now. This is interesting to me. The U.S. bond market noticeably cautious on this. Ten-year bond yields still sitting around that 1.8% figure. So I think that's something to watch. But for now, let's get right to the drivers. And we head to Washington, where the impeachment process casts a pretty long shadow over any trade deal success. In just a few hours' time, U.S. managers will formally present the articles of impeachment against President Trump in the Senate. It will mark the beginning of the third impeachment trial in U.S history. The House sent over the articles to the Senate after a signing ceremony on Wednesday night. Athena Jones is on Capitol Hill. Athena, so much to discuss, including the prospect of further evidence in the last 24 hours too. But first, just talk us through what to expect in the coming hours. Lots of pomp and lots of ceremony. Sure, that's exactly right. While the Senate uh, the, it will begin, in, the trial will begin in earnest next Tuesday. There are a lot of ceremonial steps that are going to be taken, including today at about noon, when you're going to have uh, the House impeachment managers. Those are the folks who will be prosecuting the case against President Trump in the Senate trial. They're going to be back over here in the Senate uh, to to read the articles 
on the Senate floor. Then later this afternoon, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, is going to be swearing in all 100 senators. They will take an oath to do impartial justice. And then, of course, next week, we're going to see the senators uh, sitting uh, for hours on end, days on end, uh, listening to the House impeachment managers make their case against the president, uh, followed by the president's own defense team. They will make their defense of the president. Each side gets 24 hours to do that. That's why it's going to take several days. And then after all of that, the senators will finally be able to put some questions to uh, either side, both sides. That's when you're going to come uh, to these issues of uh, will there be new evidence, evidence that emerged after the House impeached the president? Will new evidence be allowed to be introduced? Uh, and also, will senators ultimately vote to call witnesses? They're going to need 51 uh, senators to support uh, those sorts of moves. And while we know who the impeachment managers are on the House side, we don't uh, fully know that the makeup of the president's team that is still uh, being decided. They haven't yet made any announcements. We do expect uh, White House counsel Pat Spilone and his deputies to be involved. Jay Sekulow, who is the president's uh, personal attorney, is also expected to be part of the team. Uh, but what's unclear is whether or not some of the president's most staunch defenders on the House side, conservatives who you may have seen uh, kind of make a name for themselves in defending the president during the impeachment hearings, or just in general, folks like uh, Matt Gates, um, uh, Mark Meadows, uh, Jim Jordan, John Ratcliffe. Uh, those are the types of people that the president is considering putting on his team, even though Republican senators have warned that you maybe he shouldn't want to bring kind of the, the circus atmosphere of the House over to the Senate. You, it could put vulnerable Republicans in a bad position bringing these firebrands uh, from the House uh, uh, onto the team. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Julia? Now, I mentioned, Athena, uh, and you're absolutely right, we have to wait and see. In line of further evidence here, the developing story just in the last 12 hours or so, that close associate of Rudy Giuliani, of course, the, the president's personal lawyer, Lev Parnas, who has openly come out and suggested that the president's lying about there not being some kind of quid pro quo here, an exchange of information, an investigation into uh, Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son for support, for financial aid for Ukraine. What are people in D.C. saying about this right now? Because, again, this could be a piece of very pivotal evidence if it's allowed to be presented. Well, it, could, it certainly could be, and that's what people are saying. You know, you have Democrats who say, look, this is just more proof and more gives us more support for the case we're making against the president. And it also means this is a person who's clearly willing to testify. Uh, he's handed over a trove of documents that folks in the House are still going through. So you have the first day, it's, oh, you know, there's a handwritten letter on Ritz-Carlson Stationery in, 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 in the Hotel in Vienna where Lev Parnas writes, get President Zelensky to announce investigation into the Bidens. There's the letter uh, that was first revealed. Rudy Giuliani sent to President-elect Zelensky asking for a meeting with the knowledge and consent of the president. And now you have Lev Parnas giving multiple media interviews in which he says that President Trump knew, of course, knew everything about what they were doing, what Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnas were getting up to in Ukraine. And, and even at one point quoting Ambassador Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, who you'll remember during the impeachment hearing, said, look, everyone was in the loop. The, the, the question is, will, the, will senators ultimately vote to hear from, directly from someone like Lev Parnas, in which case he could be cross-examined by both sides. They're not just going to take him at his word, but also whether those kinds of documents are going to be allowed to be entered into evidence. Democrats saying they absolutely have to be considered in order for this to be a real trial and a fair trial. Julia? Yes, the Republicans hold the majority in the Senate, and we have to keep bringing it back to that. Athena Jones.
Thank you so much for that. Now, directly related, Ukraine has announced it's investigating the possible surveillance of the former U.S. ambassador, Marie Yovanovitch. Ms. Yovanovitch was fired from her post in the country by the Trump administration. It comes, as we were just discussing there, as an associate of Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, directly implicated the president in the Ukraine scandal. He told Anderson Cooper he helped orchestrate Giuliani's efforts to pressure Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden and his son say it was all about keeping President Trump in power. Listen in. That's the, how you personally viewed it. This is about 2020 to help him get the next four years. That was the way everybody viewed it. I mean, there was that was the most important thing is for him to stay on for another four years. And after Rudy would speak with the president or, or come from the White House, I was the first person he briefed. So Giuliani knew everything you were doing. Everything he was in. You're saying Vice President Pence knew? Well, I don't know if my Vice President knew everything we were doing. I'm sure he was. But he knew he was about a quid pro quo. Of course, he knew. Everybody knew. Bolton. That's Bolton. Mulvaney. Mulvaney. Uh, Bolton, I don't think, agreed with it. I think Bolton is a very important witness because I think between me and Bolton, we could fit in all the dots. I think uh, because I was on the ground there and he was over here. I mean, and you'd be willing to testify? I would be very willing to testify. Christian Armanpour joins us now. Christian, you just spoke exclusively with the Ukrainian foreign minister. Impeccable timing. What more do we know? You know, Julia, now we're at a point where all sides are accusing each other of lying. And as you know, Lev Parnas is already under investigation uh, in New York in a criminal matter. And um, and, and so the, the foreign minister of Ukraine told me point blank that this was fantasy, what he was saying, that certainly he had never met him. Here's what he told me this morning. Lev Parnas, a crony of Rudy Giuliani, who is the president's uh, personal lawyer, has now spoken out, as you know, and he has said several things, mostly that he did carry a very explicit message from the president via Rudy Giuliani that there would need to be a quid pro quo if Ukraine was going to continue getting any kind of assistance. And furthermore, he has now said that he has spoken to key officials within President Zelensky's circle. Since you are one of those, and you were when this happened, did you get that message from Lev Parnas? It's all, all, all Ukrainian media as well, today and yesterday. And strangely enough, my name was not mentioned, although I'm Minister of Foreign Affairs. And I, frankly, I never spoke with this individual. And again, frankly, I don't, I don't trust any word he is now saying. The assistance which we, he is uh, referring to, was reviewed each and every year annually, at least twice, and half a year at the end of the year. So we knew that this assistance is to be reviewed. Sometimes it would be cut because of the, some political understanding of what is to be done in Ukraine, sometimes being erased, which is now we're observing. Um, Julia, as you know, the Ukrainians are desperate not to be dragged into this American domestic political drama. And they are desperate not to run afoul of the U.S. administration who puts so much into supporting the government of Ukraine, whether it's with military or other kind of assistance. But as we also know, because it was part of the testimony, the Ukrainian president was going to announce this quid pro quo or rather this uh, 
Ukrainian investigation into the Bidens and Burisma on CNN. You remember that was a key part of testimony uh, in Congress recently that we learned about. And in fact, that never actually happened, that interview. But clearly there was more to it than, than we're being told by the Ukrainian side right now. And in addition, as you know, the U.S. ambassador in question, Marie Yovanovitch, who was fired by President Trump and is now very concerned about reports of Ukrainian and American surveillance into her activities, um, has asked for an investigation. And uh, you, you've heard that the, um, the Ukrainian uh, the Ukrainian government says that it is launching an investigation into that kind of surveillance on their soil um, and also an investigation into the Burisma hack that again is attached to this story because that's the energy company that Hunter Biden was a board member on. Julia? Absolutely. And for the foreign minister here as well, consistent with what we've been told by the president as well, openly in front of the U.S. president as well, that none of the sort happened. So everybody, I think, being very, very careful here within the Ukrainian administration. Yes, indeed. And furthermore, on this particular issue of Lev Parnas, they, you know, as you heard, the foreign minister says he never met him and this sort of didn't happen. Um, but also he's saying that Lev Parnas is under all sorts of, you know, judicial uh, investigation right now. And he's obviously, quote unquote, doing what he needs to do to burnish his credentials and make himself, uh, you know, to defend himself. So it is very, very complex. But what you have is these documents and uh, we'll see exactly where they lead. And what we know is that, uh, that there was going to be some kind of Ukrainian announcement in line with what President Trump had requested and through Rudy Giuliani that there be an investigation into the Bidens or at least an announcement of such an investigation. Uh, the Ukrainian government was about to do that using CNN as a vehicle. Uh, it never yes. in the end happened. Yes, and then it never happened. Christian Armanpour, great job. Thank you so much for joining us on that interview. All right, let's move on to our next driver now. A new era of unbridled harmony awaits China and the United States, or does it? Beijing has agreed to buy more U.S. goods, protect American intellectual property rights, and open up its financial services sector. There is a lot to cover here, and who better to have it with us to discuss it? So Christine Romans. Christine, great to have you with us. I mean, you've done an opinion piece, um, and you're pretty blunt about this. You say, quite frankly, the trade war is still on. What's it your is, assessment here beyond that and why? It didn't end yesterday. I mean, it was packaged to look like a big, huge election year promise kept. But all of the really heavy lifting was pushed forward to a phase two. You know, China's massive industrial subsidies left aside. Cybersecurity left aside. State-owned enterprises left aside. Now, what was in here, though? I mean, look, there were some notable wins for the U.S. I'm not poo-pooing that. I mean, a $200 billion overall shopping list for the Chinese of everything from American drugs to food to airplanes, uh, all kinds of oil and gas on there. I mean, that's good. But the president of the United States at the beginning of this trade war said he wasn't going to just go there and ask for them to buy a bunch of stuff. He wanted a fundamental reshaping of the, of the, of the trade agreement, and we're not quite there yet. There is a bright spot in here for American farmers, uh, $32 billion in additional uh, farm purchases. Hey, that's great for battered soybean and pork farmers in, in the Midwest where I'm from, but they have really been awfully, uh, awfully hurt over the past couple of years. And essentially, this fixes what was a, a, 
a product of the trade war in the first place. I mean, we went into this trade war with China, not trying to fix agriculture, trying to fix all that other stuff. So, so in a weird way, um, it's just kind of really unfair still what has happened to American farmers. And by the way, the farm bailout, taxpayer farm bailout, $28 billion, twice the size of the auto bailout. So that's just to put that in perspective there. Also, you made the point at the top of your show, Julia, $370 billion of imports of Chinese goods. Those tariffs are still on. So that is still something. Uh, it's leverage for the president, but it is also something right. that could be damaging for the economy. Yeah, I do feel like it depends where you sit here. You're either glass half full or you're glass yeah. half empty. I mean, this is really the first of its kind with China to try and at least begin tackling some of the asymmetries yeah. in the in the relationship, whether it's technology, access or trade. So, and to your point, and you've already said it, we shouldn't take away from the president. Do we yeah. like the idea, despite the impact, that they have held on to that leverage of tariffs and they're going to, it seems, try and push for, for phase two, maybe before the 2020 elections? Because there's plenty of skepticism, too, out there about their ability to achieve that. Yeah, I, I think that the president had to keep some of that leverage, right? Otherwise, how do you enforce this with the Chinese? I mean, this has been for administration after administration, these strategic economic dialogues or these half year, you know, uh, trade talks that they have, the Chinese promise something and they don't deliver on it. The president now has this this firepower to try to keep them at his word. Now, that does mean there could be uncertainty in the marketplace, right? If people think that the president's going to put on more tariffs, you know, then that's then that start, starts to cause the uncertainty thing again. But I think overall here, um, this is a truce. The hostilities have ended, but the trade war is still simmering out there. Yes. Take what you can get, quite frankly. Trade yeah. a truce. <laughs> More battles to come. Christy Romans, thank you so much for that. All right, next driver. Fourth quarter earnings season is over for the major banks, and it turns out they may have saved the best for last. Morgan Stanley reporting a stunning 46% profit rise in Q4, crushing expectations and beating JP Morgan's chase 21 profit rise, if you remember from earlier in the week. Paul and Monica joins me now. I mean, there's all sorts of adjectives being used a blowout quarter for Morgan Stanley and I think a, a, an ode actually to the CEO and the progress that he's made over the last decade to shift the direction of, of the overall business here into wealth management and that sector in particular. Yeah, exactly, Julie. This is a superlative quarter for Morgan Stanley. And you're right that I think CEO James Gorman has done a fantastic job of pushing Morgan Stanley into wealth management, asset management a little bit more so that it is not just relying on more traditional Wall Street businesses. But to that end, Morgan Stanley did have a phenomenal quarter in those Wall Street businesses for the most part. I mean, M&A activity in Q4 was lackluster, and we already knew that, and that's why Goldman Sachs had talked about that in its earnings report. But Morgan Stanley, much like J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman and Citi and Bank of America, big gains in bond trading and also in IPOs, equity underwriting as, as well as bond underwriting too. So Morgan Stanley had a very, very good quarter here, and it's got to have people wondering if they might be the king of Wall Street now instead of Goldman Sachs. Wow. And that says something. I mean, legal issues aside, this was a great quarter for the, for the banks, the core businesses of the banks. Um, quite interesting to watch and see how the stock prices perform now uh, going forward. Paula Monica, thank you for that. All right. We're going to take a break here on First Move. But coming up later on in the show, are you in need of an energy boost? Well, we'll be hearing from the co-founder of a startup, Unicorn, working on silicon-based batteries with a significantly longer-lasting life. We'll explain. Stay with us.
to First Move Live from the New York Stock Exchange. We are looking at fresh records for the U.S. majors when we open up in a few minutes' time. We've still got that glow, it seems, from the trade deal signing yesterday. Perhaps banks also helping the performance today. Take a look at what we're seeing from Morgan Stanley. Shares up more than 6% pre-market after that whopping great earnings beat. So it looks like it's going to be, at least for the start of this session, a positive one. Let's bring it back, though. I want to discuss this China trade deal to recap what's been achieved here. China set to purchase another $200 billion worth of goods over two years. The United States to cut tariffs by half on the 15% rate on the $120 billion worth of goods. Protection of intellectual property rights, including trademarks, will be established. The U.S. also set to gain access to to Chinese markets like banking and insurance. I'm not done yet. Both sides agree not to devalue currencies for competitive reasons. China also says it will end forced technology transfers. There's also going to be a way to resolve disputes too. So more talk, it seems. Well, what does Alicia Levine feel about this? She's chief strategist at BNY Mellon and joins us now. Hi. Good morning. I did that recap so that you didn't have to. Thank you. It was a long list and you did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. How do you feel? So, look, Yesterday was, was a good day. It was a good day, yep. and essentially, it was really a win for what the administration has been talking about, which is the, the, the ag purchases, but on top of that, the intellectual property issues, yes. the non-tariff barriers, the kind of opening of the markets, and very immediately, for instance, financial services companies such as credit cards will be able to function in China by April 30th. So that's actually pretty big. It's a substantive change, and the conversation has changed. And and really, the administration is is right to take a win here. I mean, they did they did it, and nobody thought they could do it. Now there will be a lot of people out there who are skeptical, saying, "Yeah, yeah, China will say this. China will say that they'll they'll welcome credit card competition in in China, and then, yeah." Look, I think it's clear that the benefits to this deal are going to accrue to certain sectors right away. So the 200 billion in additional purchases, it's a very, very ambitious target. But it's going to immediately affect agriculture, energy, manufacturing, and financial services. And you will be able to play that in the stock market, actually, because it will be an inflection to growth. Now, it's so ambitious a target, it may not be met over two years and therefore the u.s may have a right to reimpose tariffs how much of the news that we got yesterday is in the price so look we think that most of it's already in the price because once the administration announced that there was going to be a deal the stock market took off like yeah. we're up 10 percent pretty much from the fourth quarter into the beginning of january that's great but we need the fundamentals to follow it otherwise we have the we have the makings of a soft a softer market going forward so this is all very good. I just don't think you're getting additional gain from here. I think the news is pretty much baked in. Talk to me about earnings season then, because this is critical. Also, forward guidance from earnings season. I was just mentioning on the show the financials, the banks actually take out legal costs, have had a great week, have had a great past quarter. Well, what we've learned in this earnings season is that a firm economy is more important to bank earnings than net interest margin. Right. So low the banks, rates. right, so, so low rates are a problem for bank, but it's what's more important important for the bank is banks are a healthy economy and that's what we see we look most of the banks had huge jumps in their thick trading fixed income and commodity trading so that that was important and we know that look that they're telling us the consumer is healthy corporates are healthy so we think you know the years can be pretty good having said that 
the Boeing issue mm. could shave up to 50 basis points off of GDP this coming year. Maybe more than what the tariffs did over two years. Such a great point to make. Yeah. Alicia, very quickly here. Senate impeachment trial. Do investors care? Wall Street has gone to sleep on this issue. Okay. Okay. So if they cannot get, you know, 20 Republican senators to vote with the Democrats, this is a non-issue. Because no now. one, no investor believes that the president will be impeached in the Senate. Correct. However, however, what is interesting is that the Democratic senators running for president will now be, you know, kept in BC. the Senate and they cannot go on the campaign trail in Iowa and New Hampshire. That might be interesting. It would help Joe Biden. Alicia Levine, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank, thank you so you. much. The Chief Strategist at BNY Mellon, thank you for that. All right, a quick look once again at the futures. We are set to see fresh records when the markets open up this morning. And we're, what, three or four minutes away from that. Stay with us because the opening bell is next. move and the first move for markets this morning takes us to fresh records on Wall Street one day after the Dow closed above 29,000 for the first time ever stocks getting a boost it seems amid hopes that the US-China trade deal will lift global growth we also got some pretty solid economic numbers today in the United States as well hey big spenders retail sales rising and expected 0.3% in the all-important December shopping period if you exclude auto sales, they were even better, up some 0.7%. Tomorrow is going to be a big day, too, for data as well, when China releases its fourth quarter growth numbers, too. So we will be watching that for you as well. Let me give you a look right now at the global movers. And far and away, the star of the show today, Morgan Stanley, up 6%. Shares surging after the company reported record 2019 profits. What about Tesla, too? Uh, Tesla shares is under a bit of pressure this session, down some 4.6%. Morgan Stanley cutting its rating on Tesla's stock today. It says investors should wait to buy Tesla now at a lower price. Interesting to see uh, some divergence here among analysts. Alcoa is also down some 3.4%. The aluminium giant reporting a wider than expected Q4 loss of 31 cents a share. Revenues, in fact, also missed estimates. Weak pricing remains a major concern here for the company and uh, investors reacting in kind this morning. All right, let's move on. A battery firm, Sela Nano, is one charged-up unicorn. Sela, which is currently valued at more than $1 billion, has developed technology that can give electric cars, smartphones, and other battery-powered devices a significant energy boost. Major firms like Daimler are some of Nano's first investors. I spoke with the head of Sela, Gene Berdachevsky, about his company's game-changing innovation. At Sila, we are manufacturing the next generation battery technology. Uh, we've developed it, we're producing it, we're launching it shortly, and it increases the energy density of batteries by up to 40%. Uh, every battery since Sony first launched lithium-ion in 1991 uses a graphite technology, and we replaced that graphite technology entirely with our silicon technology. So it means that the batteries last 20 to 40% longer, just based on a different 
chemical composition of the battery. That's right. We're, we're adding a new chemical composition into the battery. They'll last longer. You can have smaller battery packs for the same range for an electric vehicle. Um, and the way we're doing it is it's fully compatible with existing battery manufacturing. So there's about 50 uh, gigafactories worth of battery production going up uh, around the world in the next five to seven years. Our technology is fully compatible with that. And it's just the one-for-one -one swap for the graphite technology. So why haven't other companies also come up with this technology? Is this just something that you uniquely are doing at this moment? We're the first to bring it to market. This has been a problem that people have worked on for about 15 years. Uh, batteries are incredibly hard. They just won the Nobel Prize for lithium-ion <laughs> last year. So these are very tough challenges. We've built an incredible team. My co-founder is one of those brilliant professors in the industry. Uh, we've been, and we've been at this for eight years now. So it's not, a, it's not an it's overnight not success. Overnight. <laughs> yeah, uh, it feels like that, but it's, but it's a lot of work. What about price? Does it adjust the price? Are you simply getting 20 to 40% um, longer lasting batteries for the same cost? Yeah, so, so much like we had in computers, we had a Moore's, we have, there's a Moore's law-like effect in batteries. So as, in computers, as, as transistor density went up, and the cost of compute went down dramatically. In batteries, it's sort of the same thing. By storing more energy in each device, the cost on a per kilowatt hour basis actually drops. And so we're gonna see some of the same benefits. And so today, obviously, technology's new. We're not necessarily dropping the cost right away, but at scale, we're absolutely gonna lower the cost by roughly 20 to 40%, and that'll transform what it, what, how many electric vehicles get out on the road. Now, Gene actually worked with battery brainiac Elon Musk for years. In fact, three former Tesla employees are currently employed at Sela. Their goal is to completely transform the electric vehicle market and help the world's transition to more renewable energy. But first, the company is set to charge up consumers when it comes to personal devices. Listen in. What we've said together broadly is that by the, by the middle of the decade, we'll be in major vehicle platforms. You might see us in smaller platforms before that. Um, what's, what's also important, though, is before we ever get there, we'll be in small consumer devices starting right. kind of in the next year. So it's the same battery technology that's in your phone as in your car. It's just a smaller amount of it. And so we're going to start in smartwatches fitness trackers, wireless earbuds, and you should start to see that in the next year or so. So have you signed partnerships with big providers of these, like Apple, for example, is one that instantly comes to mind? Yeah, we, don't, we, we haven't announced any of those. I know you haven't. Uh, but we, 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 we have announced one partner, which is the biggest manufacturer of consumer device batteries in the world, a company called ATL. So we work with them, we work with others as well. Uh, we're not exclusive to anyone, and you, you'll start to see uh, products coming soon. So we're excited. We're excited to talk about those but we just you're one right of the now. first employees for tesla yeah that's right uh, why leave because you know we have discussions on this show a lot and actually we just had one this week with the arc invest saying that actually tesla's three years ahead of everyone else in terms of battery technology would you agree with that and what differentiates you yeah, I, I think Tesla is ahead of others on battery technology, but at a different layer. They're really ahead on the battery pack and how it integrates into the vehicle. Right. I think that's something, and that's something I helped develop back in, uh, back in 2005. And what, what we do is we bring a different layer. Uh, right now, Tesla and everybody else uses roughly the same chemistry within a couple percent of each other. Our chemistry is for 20 to 40 percent better. And our goal, our mission, the reason, part of the reason to leave is I want to deploy this across all electric vehicles worldwide and I want to help accelerate electrification, uh, not just for Tesla. What about being bought? What about um, being bought by a company? You said that you want to give your technology to, to everybody here. So I guess 
that would defeat I'm the purpose. The yeah. question for That's you. right. So our, our 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 goal and our mission is to transform the entire industry. We yeah. think we're the century 21st century is going to be a century of electrifying absolutely everything in our world, transportation, aviation. We we're, we're starting to mm. see people moving in that direction and of course the grid. The grid has to get cleaner and more electrified. And the thing holding it all back is the battery and if you go one layer deeper it's really the battery chemistry. So our our mission is is frankly too big uh, and so we would we we're, we're aiming to stay independent for a long time. The push towards more sustainability and sustainable investing will be one of the big themes at this year's World Economic Forum in Davos. Climate activist Greta Thunberg has already said she's going to go there and ask Davos participants to cut all investments and end all subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Berdichevsky's Greta's goal is a good one long term, but he says much more needs to be done before we abandon oil and gas completely. It's complicated. Eliminating subsidies, I think, is a good thing. We let markets work. Uh, I think those kind of policies, when they come to pass, you have to have something else for the world to rely on. Right. And so our mission at, at SELA is really to create that something else. The way we think about it is let's make it a better product, more cost effective, better for consumers, that just happens to be green. And so that's the future, that's the world future I'd like to live in, and so that's how we're approaching it with technology. Yes, so your point, there has to be something to substitute to. That's right. When you're saying that you're no longer going to invest in fossil fuels. And if it's more economic, even before you're saying you're not investing in fossil fuels, then the transition happens naturally, and it happens much faster, frankly, because you know, you're not fighting against the, the tides of the market. Market forces can be efficient. The CEO of Sela uh, Nano there. We're going to take a break here on First Move. But coming up, as the impeachment trial in the Senate looms, so do questions about the president's personal lawyer, his associates, and their relations to a Ukraine. We'll explain next. Welcome back to the show. An associate of President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has directly implicated the president in the Ukraine scandal. Speaking to CNN's Anderson Cooper, Lev Parnas said efforts to dig up dirt on former Vice President Joe Biden and his son had nothing to do with corruption. He claimed it was all about keeping President Trump in the White House. Here's some of that interview. You loved President Trump. You loved him. I mean... He, I mean, I, I, when, when the FBI came to my house uh, uh, to raid him, my wife felt embarrassed because they said I had a shrine to him. I mean, I had pictures all over. I mean, I, I idolized him. I mean, I thought he was the savior. <laughs> you, you did you think you were friends? Absolutely. I mean, again, I went from being a top donor, from being at all the events where we would just socialize, to becoming a close friend of Rudy Giuliani's to eventually becoming his ally and his asset on the ground in Ukraine. The, the president has said, when you were arrested, the president of the United States said uh, he didn't know you. I don't know those gentlemen. Now, it's possible I have a picture with them because I have a picture with everybody. I don't know them. The truth is out now, thank God. Yesterday was a big day for us. I thank God every day. I was worried that that day is not going to come. I thought they were going to shut me up, make me look like the scapegoat, and try to blame me for stuff that... I wasn't done, but with God's help and the great legal team that I have besides me, we were able to get the information out, and now it's out there. So I welcome him to say that even more. Every time he says that, I'll show him another picture. He's lying. He's lying. 
your attorney in a tweet had said that there were two times in which you gave the message of a quid pro quo to Ukrainian officials. What were those two times? I think there were probably a little bit more than two times, but uh, there were so. The first quid pro quo we gave was when we met with President Poroshenko. Uh, that was uh, former president. For, for, former president Poroshenko. Ben. So, what was your message to Poroshenko? Well, Poroshenko is that if he would uh, make the announcement that he would, they would he would get uh, Trump would uh, either invite him to the White House or make a statement for him, but basically would start supporting him for uh, you know president. So that was the first quid pro quo. Poroshenko can come to the White House or get a meeting with Trump. If he announces an investigation. Correct. What was the next one? And you have to understand, because this was a transition time. He was, uh, Zelensky just won. He was president-elect. Uh, and he, the, the most, the number one thing on their agenda was not even the transition. It was to get the inauguration, because it was a big thing. He was a young To show president. the American backing of the new, of the new of administration. Of course, because he had no strength with so Russia. Giuliani, I mean, Giuliani cancels his visit. Because uh, there's a lot of bad publicity about it in the United States. He cancels his visit. You go have the meeting with a high-level uh, official in Zelensky's Correct. circle. And what's the message you deliver? I basically told him very strict and very stern that uh, several things. A, that uh, he needed to make an announcement. Zelensky needed to immediately make an announcement literally that night to, or tomorrow that within the next 24 hours that they were opening up an investigation on Biden. Within 24 hours or so? I mean, I don't remember 24 hours that same night, but I mean, literally, because, I mean, uh, Rudy was really pissed off that uh, this was going to be a that setup. That this hadn't happened? Well, he said some very strong words. I mean, he on TV also. I mean, everybody in Ukraine was flipping out at that time because to hear Rudy Giuliani come out and say that there's president, that Zelensky, the president-elect, that that all of a sudden he's surrounded by enemies and he named the names of the people. That, that could be uh, that that could destroy the new regime. It was Ukraine. well, it was very near. I mean, it was it was some crazy times in Ukraine at that time because uh, it became a power struggle. You know. So Rudy is is pissed off in your words. You go in, your message is announce the, the Biden investigation. Announce the Biden investigation, get rid of certain individuals in, 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 that are the enemies of the president in, uh, your, in his administration. At that point, was there any mention of withholding of aid? Yeah, it was, uh, well, if they didn't make the announcement, basically, there would be no relationship, not just, it was no specific military, there was no aid that was going to be assisted, there was going to be no inauguration, Pence wouldn't be at the inauguration, and there would be no visit to the White House, there would be basically, they would have no communication. So how, you told the top official in the Zelensky inner circle that if they did not announce an investigation of the Bidens immediately um, and get rid of some folks around Zelensky who they believed were opposed to President Trump, that there wouldn't be any aid and Vice President Pence would not even come to the inauguration. And what happened? What did they say? I called Rudy, told him that I don't think it's going to, there's going to be an announcement. And he said, okay, they'll see. They'll see. They'll see. And what happened the next day? I got called and said that they got a call from the embassy. Some, basically, some, they found out that Pence is not going to be there. They got, got, he got canceled. They said that there was a scheduling problem or something. The day after you delivered that message. Correct. On the 13th. Right. On the 13th. It was a Monday, the 13th. Uh, and then uh, uh, after that, like I think on the 16th or the 15th, I don't remember the exact dates, uh, they had them because they were flipping out what to do. They didn't want to be embarrassed. They didn't know if anybody at all was going to show up, if, you know, but they knew Pence wasn't coming, Trump wasn't coming. How did you have the authority 
to say the vice president of the United States will not attend the inauguration if you don't do what I say. I mean, that's what I was told to do. Who told you to do that? Rudy Giuliani. And a reminder, you can watch Anderson Cooper's full interview with Lev Parnas tonight on AC360. That's at 8 p.m. here in New York, 9 a.m. in Hong Kong, right here on CNN. Now, several questions remain clearly, including whether or not the Senate will allow fresh evidence in the impeachment trial. And of course, if they do, whether or not they'd even believe Lev Parnas, who you were listening to there. Lauren Fox is on Capitol Hill for us. And uh, Lauren, clearly a momentous day set to take place. We are expecting to hear from the Senate minority and the majority leader, of course, Mitch McConnell. Just talk us through what we're going to see over the next few hours. Well, this will visually be a ceremonial day on Capitol Hill. Don't expect to hear the opening arguments as part of this impeachment trial, but this is really the moment that the torch is going to get passed from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, of course, we know has a very different view of how this impeachment process has gone so far. Here's what you're going to see today. Around noon, you'll see the House managers walk from the House of Representatives over to the Senate, where they will be invited in to actually read the articles of of impeachment in the Senate well. That's in the middle of the Senate chamber. So that's the first thing you're going to see. Then around 2 o'clock today, expect to see uh, Chief Justice John Roberts come to Capitol Hill. He'll be sworn in. Of course, he's going to be the individual who will be presiding over this entire impeachment trial in the Senate. Then he'll swear in all 100 senators who will take an oath to do, quote, impartial justice. After that, each of the senators, one by one, will walk to the top of the Senate chamber where they will sign a book that says they took the oath of office, that might take a little bit of time. And then that's really going to be it. Senators will head home for this long weekend, and you can expect to see them next Tuesday, where they're going to vote on the organizing resolution dictating the rules of this impeachment trial, which will look very similar to the 1999 Clinton impeachment rules that were voted on 100 to 0 back then. Don't expect to get many Democratic votes this time around, but that gives you a sense of where we're going. Of course, the arguments are likely to start perhaps Tuesday, maybe even a little later next week. Julia? I mean, there's all sorts of permutations here, to your point, depending on what's allowed, what the rules are here. But what are people saying about perhaps how long this could last? Well, that's the million-dollar question. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of senators who are looking at the weeks ahead and noticing that they are going to be stuck in the Senate chamber every day without electronic devices, without being able to communicate with their colleagues. They're going to just be sitting there listening six days a week. So I know that the message from the majority leader in some of their closed-door lunches to his Republican colleagues has been, listen, this isn't going to be fun for anyone. And I know when I am going through something unpleasant, what I like to do is get this done sooner than later. And so certainly the impression I'm getting from some of the rank-and-file Republicans is they want to speed this along. But the biggest question is whether or not there are going to be witnesses as part of this trial. If there are four Republicans willing to cross the aisle with Democrats to vote for people like John Bolton or Mick Mulvaney to come and testify as part of this trial, that really drags it out for a number of weeks in addition to just the opening arguments. If at the end of those opening arguments there's a vote on whether or not they want to have witnesses, there aren't enough Republican votes, that really will cement a much shorter trial, Julia. So a lot up in the air right now. And I think we won't have a good sense of where Republicans who are on the fence might land until we already hear those opening arguments.
And I think we're starting to see the roll call here as the senators are brought in here, sworn in uh, to be obviously the jury here in, in this uh, impeachment inquiry here, Lauren. I guess the, the other key point to, to realise here is, to your point, many of these senators now going to be stuck for several days, if not weeks, communications limited while they're involved in this. And for senators that were on the campaign trail here for the Democratic Party, these days are critical as well, heading into the Iowa caucus. Exactly. And I'll tell you that people like Elizabeth Warren, people like Bernie Sanders, who might rather be on the campaign trail in Iowa, are going to be in the United States Senate as part of this impeachment trial. And the message they've gotten from their leadership is this takes precedent over anything that you're going to be doing back in Iowa. It's very important. This is part of your oath of office. In fact, Warren and Sanders have both made the point that this is what they signed up for when they became senators, that this is important to them. They want to be here and be a part of it. But certainly it's hard to ignore what a crunch they're under in terms of the timeline for the Iowa caucuses, Julia. Lauren, I mean, we are again, and I'll just reiterate to our viewers, we're waiting to hear ultimately from the, the Senate Majority Leader here, Mitch McConnell. We'll also hear from the Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer. What do we expect them to say? As you've said, it's a, a ceremonial day, really, to, to mark this occasion and the beginning of a, what could be several weeks of, of process here in hearings. What do we expect from them this morning? Well, today's really going to be about setting the tone. We should note that these two leaders talk almost every day at the beginning of a Senate uh, session. But what we will be looking for today is what's the message from the majority leader today? What is he really setting up? What does he say about the House process? We know he thinks it's been unfair. What does he say about the timeline that they are going to be under? We have an expectation, of course, that the trial will begin next Tuesday in terms of arguments or a vote on that organizing resolution. Does he talk about what is going to be in that organizing resolution, the resolution that will set up Lauren, the rules for this trial. There because we are looking now at uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Let's listen in to what he has to say. Lauren, thank you. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 